Welcome back to the Valkyrie Project podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Meg, and today we are doing something a little different, so you're in for a treat. Normally when we're podcasting, I sit down with someone that I have asked to be on the show that I interview and bring their expertise to the table in terms of the conversation about female tactical athlete fitness and lifestyle choices and things like that that help us be successful in our endeavors. But today we're going to do something a little different. I have with me here my friend Nick. He is also a Valkyrie Project mentor, a longtime coach of CrossFit, and generally a studly athlete. And we are going to have a chat today about some some getting to know Meg stuff because I feel like we don't always get an opportunity in the normal construct of the podcast for for listeners to kind of crack my head open and see where I'm coming from as the founder and the owner and programmer and. Um, I think this is a good opportunity to do that. So thanks for being here, Nick. Well, thank you for having me. You excited? I am beyond excited. I don't even know what words to use, but hopefully I'll think of some along the way. Um, we got to fill up this hour with something, you know. We'll just, we'll just tell bad jokes. Sweet. I'm sure this one or two will happen. I'm a fan. Awesome. Let's do it. Well, so let's do my favorite thing and not talk about me. So today on the Valkyrie Project, our guest is Meg. So why don't we start with you talking a little bit about yourself specifically. Let's talk way before the Valkyrie days, way before the professional days, I guess, young Meg. How would someone, how would you rather define young Meg? Oh, Lord. I think I've talked about this a couple times, actually, um, with previous podcasts, just because it's fun to like have that sharing, you know, back and forth with guests as opposed to just me firing off questions and then they answer them and then we drive on. But um, I think I've mentioned a couple times before that as a kid, as a military brat, I was pretty, um, you know, with two siblings, I was pretty, I wouldn't say introverted necessarily. I was friendly and I like knew how to kind of have people skills as a kid, but I was very sensitive, sweet, like well-behaved. I always had a really healthy sense of authority, like a middle child syndrome, maybe you could call it, but I never was like the person getting in trouble or Mm -hmm. like pushing the envelope. Um, Very artistic, did a lot of drawing Um, and not really much of an outdoor type kid. Something I've talked about before too. Like I, I really didn't discover a love for athleticism or like how my body moves in space until much, much later. I spent a lot of my time as a kid indoors not wanting to get dirty repeatedly like coloring and drawing ariel and princess jasmine so clearly the beginnings of a fine military tactical athlete (laughs) so would it be fair to say then that you because i mean this will probably resonate with a lot of people there's a i think a preconception out there that people who are very athletic or people who get a lot into athletics start out as athletes and are always athletes. Uh, so would it be fair to say that is absolutely not you? Oh, totally. And I think that a lot of people, that particular story can resonate with. Um, and I appreciate that you highlighted that because it's certainly, um, it's an eye-opening thing when you do finally come into your, oh, like the realization of I can be an athlete and I can do things that are amazing with my body. And, um, yeah, certainly people that are out there that want that for themselves that maybe are not in that headspace or what they think is the ideal personality right now. Like, it's never too late. It's never too late to pick up a barbell and right, figure it right. out. Right, right. It's a very, very important message right there. It's never right. too late. If you're listening right now, it is never too late to pick up a barbell. Unless you're talking about the used market. Right now is not a good time for that. But uh, excellent time for that. So what drew you to trying to be more sport meg? 
as opposed to normal Meg. So this is kind of a funny story. I actually um, was super awkward in middle school. I went to a middle school for the arts. So like we had two hours of art class every day and an hour of all the other, I guess you could call them core competencies of middle school, like science and math and English and all that shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And transitioning to high school, um, I was pretty like insecure and didn't have a lot of friends. And a lot of the friends that I went to that middle school for the arts with were going to another high school. So my stepdad had this idea. He had a client um, whose daughter ran cross country. And one day he was talking with his client about how I was starting high school soon. And she said, oh, well, you should send her out for cross country practice. Um, and it was kind of a twofold thing. It was like a ride to school because I would go with this girl, Katie, um, who was a junior, I think, at the time. Um, but it was an opportunity for me to make friends. So I was like, yeah, I'll do this. And that was, that was how I got my start in cross-country practice. And I'll never forget, we were kind of in, I wouldn't say dire straits, but we were lower middle class at the time, you know, borderline, like, poor, you could say. Christmas was difficult every year. Mm-hmm. Um, my stepdad took me to Walmart to get some, like, athletic gear. And, like, I got the, the Walmart brand tennis shoes and, like, the... Cheaper than the cotton Sophie Short, Sophie Short style, like cheapy cheeps, you know, just something that looks like training clothes to go to practice. And I'll never forget, like one of the first things I was picked on for was wearing a pair of yellow shorts. Apparently there was something wrong with that color. But first day, uh, the other girls were like, hey, yellow shorts. I'm like, uh, I hope this wasn't an epic mistake. If I ever see you wear yellow shorts now, I feel like you'll do it out of, I don't know, to just to get back in them. That's just the strangest thing. You to, will never catch me in yellow shorts ever again because of that. Just because of that. I, I can understand <laughs> that. That's kind of thing is that's going to resonate. So, so you used, I guess the, um, cross country to branch yourself out a bit to, I guess, expand your circle. Yeah. I was never expecting to be any good at it at all. Were you? Um, I, I became good. I showed promise. Um, I was always the kid in our family that was like lagging in the back of the pack when we were hiking or doing any kind of outdoor activity. I was the one that would rather be playing with my Barbies and just seated quietly somewhere inside the house. But um, I was expecting it to not be super fun, but the friends aspect was worth it. But after, you know, a couple months and I kept, you know, it was kind of to some extent, it's the, the beginner phenomenon where you just you're gonna get better because you went from doing nothing yeah. to doing something. Oh, yeah. Um, but it got to a point after a year or two where I was, you know, middle upper pack of the girls in my, I almost said year group in my grade. (laughs) Um, and so that was exciting. And eventually, unfortunately that didn't last very long. Eventually, you know, like all human beings do, I did have to go through puberty and, you know, my body changed a little and I no longer was like a 12 year old boy. So <laughs> I slowed down significant, significantly between my junior and senior year of high school. Um, and I guess that's a kind of an offshoot of that story. But yeah, until that point where, you know, I like got hips and had to worry about all that stuff. Um, it was like, it was pretty good. It was decent, you know, not like track star or anything, but competitive. So I think it's fair to say that your body was trying to tell you that instead of all this running, you needed to be lifting more. Oh, man. You know, there's all kinds of things that looking back on it now, I would have done differently. Um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and there's only so much you can know when you're like 15 years old and taking all your cues from a dude, which, by the way, if I can ever, you know, 
whatever amount of like credit I can give to Bob Crowley, I will do it all day long because he was an incredible coach. And really, if it wasn't for that man, like this whole other aspect of my life, this whole other fitness journey in me, you know, becoming who I am now would not have been possible. He was your coach. He was my coach. That said, um, there's a lot we didn't know then that we know now that you should not be putting especially teenage girls Mm -hmm. in motion control tennis shoes. Personal opinion, there's research out there that, you know, can be presented in a, this is this is how it always goes in the fitness industry anyway right right there's some clinical studies if you're if you're um articulate enough to present the information in a specific way you can say i'm the expert and this the science says this but you know a really scrutinizing person that is good at critical thinking and understands what the outcome of certain studies mean you know with certain control measures and, and yada yada um they can look at it and say Eh, not so much. I was in motion control shoes the whole time because I had the pronation problem that a lot of people diagnose when you go to running shops and whatnot. The reality is any kind of running control shoe is imposing a factor in your arch that otherwise it will not have on its own. So unless it's like, you know, personal preference, I I never want to put anything like that in my shoes that has like extra cushion or motion control unless I'm specifically using orthotics from the dock in order to fix a very specific problem. Otherwise, if it's like the Brooks running shoes with motion control, I want minimal, minimal all day long, because that's the only way to ar- the only way to strengthen the arch in your foot. Um, it didn't give me issues then, but much later on, I started having knee problems. And I think some of the recent imbalance challenges I've had as an adult can be traced all the way back to, you know, trying to build athleticism on a skinny, untrained body with smushy shoes under the feet, if that makes any sense. No, no, I totally understand what you're saying. So there's there's that, and then there was, like everyone did at the time, because that's what you thought to do, like carb loading. Like, coach is like, you need to be eating carbs all day, every day. Like, every day was, like, spaghetti for lunch and a salad and breadsticks. And, like, if I, if I sit down now and, like, calculate my macros for when I was 15, 16, 17, I was probably having, like, 300 plus grams of carbohydrate every day and maybe like 50 grams of protein that is not okay for an athlete like we should have been having much higher doses of protein a little less carbohydrate Mm. um fat arguable depending on the person and their system but um yeah that i would have done differently i mean i don't know I guess it's it's easy to say like I don't have any regrets because I am where I where I am now today because of things that happened and that's true but at the same time you know if you don't take those lessons forward then what was it all for? It's certainly, anyway. certainly, I can I can understand that. I can understand. That. I like the point that you're kind of touching on of how, and I, th- I think we've had this conversation before about how there are a lot of like one size fits all solutions, quote unquote. I don't know if I can see that I'm making the air quotes, but this is important. I, I can see them. That's what matters. <laughs> That's what matters, right? Like these one size fits all solutions in the fitness world, which mm-hmm. is not really that established. You know, there's certain things in the fitness world that always have worked and that always will work again with air quotes, but people just now are, or just now are only trying to get more intelligent about it. So then when we apply these one size fits all things, such as what should be orthotics and then being quote unquote motion control, end up doing more damage to people in the long run. And um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's really important that, yeah. you, that you point that out. And maybe it's not a fundamental problem. Maybe it's just 
I'm a gangly 15 year old girl is untrained. And maybe mm. I need to be doing some footwork drills first, or I need to be doing some kind of like unilateral ankle stability drills before, you know, attempting mm-hmm. a five mile run for the first time, what have you. I mean, they, you know, they did the appropriate thing of ramping me up like sure. day one, maybe a mile max, you know, and as the weeks and months went on, I was given meeting the gates, the thresholds to be like, okay, you can handle that mileage. Let's crank it up. Um, but I will say, you know, looking back on it, I guess to circle back to the previous point, like, wow, woefully insufficient protein intake and bad shoes and running eight miles a day as, you know, a teenager still developing, like, no wonder I've got like problems now, but we have, we also haven't piled on top of that, all the other things between then, then and now. Um, but to, to circle back to your previous statement, I think, um, I think people tend to want to find a black and white solution in things like sports and nutrition because science should be simple. The process of doing science and research should be to come to an outcome that says, like, this is always the answer. The issue is with that mindset that the conditions are always different, you know? Like, a study done in um, male ultramarathoners in their 20s, Mm. that whatever result comes out of that is not science for a 30-year-old female tactical athlete. Similarly, you know, females that are middle age, pre-baby, post-baby, what have you doing. I mean, just, you know, the variables are endless, right? And a lot of that research isn't there yet. So that's, I think that's partly what makes it so hard is like the oversimplification of everything. Um, So certainly, you know, if if there was ever a call to action, it's let's get more clinical trials on female military athletes. And that's actually maybe my follow-on question. Do you think now that, at least in my perspective, and maybe you'll see it differently, but the fitness world seems to be expanding, the market seems to be expanding to much more include women. Do you think that there will be more of a drive for research specifically towards that end? I hope so. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of pieces to that question. We've interviewed a couple of um, world-class athletes, right, talking people that are like, Team USA athletes, we've spoken with um, Jackie Fay, who's a world record holder for doing a marathon, an Ironman on, not a marathon, an Ironman on every continent in a year. Um, some really like high performing females. And, and so the question we asked then is like, the research has to be serving someone. So who, who's, essentially it sucks, but like whose pockets is it lining to do the research, right? right yeah. Like if, if interest in female spectator type sports increases certainly there will be a motivation a demand among you know leading world-class coaches to say like i want you to study my female football player more closely i want you to study my female basketball player more closely depending whether that's endurance strength you know injury rates what have you um that's one aspect of it like the actual the enterprise that is you know publicizing and selling sports but you know on our end female tactical athletes tactical athletes in general um i think there has to be a demand signal from the powers that be at the top of the food chain of the military and the department of defense to say you know this if it's true that we're investing in our soldiers to try and keep them healthy and safe longer which you know we see those signals in the va for providing more resources for for folks with ptsd and all these other things you know more emphasis put on traumatic brain injury research like 
Mm-hmm. This is the same thing. This is an investment in your soldiers um, who now, as of a couple of year, years ago, you know, specifically females, have access to all jobs and schools. So how do we maximize our investment in training these people? That's what it is, you know. You've been paying somebody 15 years to be in. You've been giving them a paycheck and free health care and housing and all this stuff. It's an investment. Um, can I spend a little more and do a little more research to make sure that investment stays healthy and functional? Mm, there, there's certainly a lot more value on longevity now. Or at least they, I think we're getting in that direction. Oh, It'll yeah. take a while to evolve that way, but... Dude, especially with the recruiting problems right now, like you cannot afford for people to be like broken off and getting out. Yeah, that's the problem. The thing that a lot of people don't realize is so when somebody gets out and they're broken, like when someone gets out of the military and they're to explain to anyone who doesn't necessarily understand what I mean when I just say that, oh, they're broken. So when someone gets out and they have either a long term nagging injury, um, psychological issue or just something that hasn't otherwise been addressed, that reflects really, really badly on the service. Now, mind you, it might not necessarily even be a at direct fault of the service. And by that, I mean, um, a person can be, it's the whole leader horse, the water. The person can be given all the tools necessary to solve their own issues before beforehand, but they might not necessarily, not, might not necessarily take those, um, suggestions or what have you. Um, it again, reflects still badly on the service. So I feel that where the community in, in total is going is more of a, Hey, Let's try and create a soldier, male or female, that is just more capable of dealing with this, uh, being stronger physically and mentally. Absolutely. And that, I think, requires investing in the research to make sure the studies happen to say, you know, this thing works and that doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it also means giving people the tools to take care of themselves while they're in. Um, And I think we've seen that, you know, special operations and everybody has like their special staffs of you know trainers and mental performance coaches and this and that and i think that's a step in the right direction but certainly we're not all the way there yet i think especially on you know when i say conventional side i'm talking like not special operations like this conventional side still has a ways to go i think to bridge that gap and that was another question i want to ask you so not to get too off the off of the talking about you but we knew we were going to do this, so let's just. Go oh yeah, we tangent. we knew let's this. The tangents were going to happen. The tangents were. Sign and cosine. I don't know, but I'm really glad you got that because a lot of math jokes got to right. Good one. But so making that making that transition right, so mm-hmm. going from old school, hey, we're going to do push up sit ups and a couple miles and run, to okay, we need to have a more well rounded training program. What do you think that's going to take? Because I find at least. Or, or, or like, if I had to answer that question, I'd say, hey, look, it's just going to take a lot of people getting out and a lot of new people who are tired of getting injured coming in and saying, hey, you know what? This makes a lot more sense. Let's just do that. But from your perspective, what direction do you think we need to go? Or how do you think we're going to get there? I think that... And you current- can't just say lots and lots of alcohol. Um, that's, that's not the right answer. Wait, you, you mean drinking faces off and like pounding energy drinks and getting four hours of sleep and staying up all night is the standard playing yes. games is <laughs> not how you're supposed to do it no apparently not or at least that's what i read in a book once but i feel like we need to have a serious conversation with the e4 mafia because they'll do, be heartbroken <laughs> that's what keeps them tough right sleeping makes us all oh man i meant that lovingly for all you e4s out there no <laughs> um i think there's still some work to be done and i think great strides have been made to, to facilitate that. Um, for those that are listening that don't know, the Army is transitioning from one particular physical fitness test to another. 
The second is far more focused on functional movements that actually can show your competency as, you know, a physical being in a dangerous space under duress overseas, as opposed to our standard push up, sit up two mile run stuff that we've seen. Um, And so I I think the tools they've put in place to facilitate that transition from one test to the other, like um, building up the master fitness trainer program and like training people to be able to test this and not only test it, but also I should say not only proctor the, the test appropriately, but to train people to be prepared for that. Um, I think that's been a good thing. I do think that there needs to be more money invested in and, and time and energy building into making master fitness trainer less of, um, for lack of a better word, redheaded stepchild item. That's like, Mm, eh, you know, if you've got time, Sergeant, go take that because we need somebody that can do it for the whole battalion or whatever the case may be. Um, maybe this needs to be a new specialty. This needs to be a new track. You know, you still have to be a trigger puller and you still have to know the basic army stuff. But if we want that knowledge to remain in the organization and continue to build in the organization, it needs to be the same thing for other, for other jobs where the expectation is you're in a job for a couple years, you're expected, whether you're an NCO or an, or an officer, you master that particular job and then you move on. And the longer you stay in that specialization or, or um, branch, if you're an officer, um, theoretically, you, you become more and more of an expert. So maybe it becomes an MOS where you like, you show the potential, they teach you how to be a, a master fitness trainer and then they make opportunities for you to promote and continue progressing through your career. And who knows, maybe by the time you peak out at master sergeant or or however command sergeant major when you retire you've you're now like in the highest circles of influence that right you know army training doctrine or whatever it might be um kind of a wazoo idea would be very unusual but i think that's the amount of investment that has to come if you want to see a long-term benefit as opposed to people just continuing to spin their wheels for lack of a better word and just be you know well, the PT test now has, you know, all these hex bar deadlifts. So I'm just going to make everyone do 10 million hex bar deadlifts until someone destroys their back. Like, we know that's going to happen. We know it is, and it's unfortunate. Um, but this thing needs to have some long-term longevity that gives investment into people self-developing as well as seeking development from external factors. Mm, absolutely. Do you think uh, outsourcing in the meantime as a, a bridge, if you will, would be realistic not so much for the special operations community because i'd like to feel that we kind of do that but uh for the regular army space um i think outsourcing is a good idea given some parameters i mean the benefits of the outsourcing would be finding expertise that's already there you know and and, and battle proven um I don't think there is nearly as much expertise out there for women as there is for men. So I think that's going to be problematic regardless. I'm talking with particular regard to female military athletes. No, absolutely. And if you want to find those experts for outsourcing, you probably need to go find strength and conditioning coaches that train like collegiate level female athletes and bring them into the fold. Um, that kind of thing. But, um, some of them are out there. There's, there's, there's fewer people trained on women's factors and there aren't. But um, the the danger with outsourcing is that 
with all things Department of Defense and in the military industrial complex, like, unfortunately, I've seen this relationship in the past where, you know, folks that are contracted become a bit of a self-licking ice cream cone. Hmm. And if a commander sits there and says, you know what, every time I look at your shit, every year I'm seeing, like, Minimal progress, minimal benefit. What am I getting out of this? I'm not saying every single contractor out there is like that. It's not true. No, but I think we've all had the experience you're describing. It's a danger and it's a potential that it's like, well, now that I've been hired to do this thing, even if it's not working necessarily, I have to find ways to fluff up my success so that I can continue keeping this contract and getting paid. And, you know, then sometimes those folks become experts in justifying their own existence as opposed to actually doing the thing they're supposed to do. So if we were to outsource, it would have to have some kind of relentless perspective of performance on the part of whatever commander's facilitating it. Like, Certainly. It works in a year or you're out, and I'm taking my money somewhere else. And the difficulty there is a turnover for commanders, I think. You know, they've got a couple years at most to get in the seat and execute their vision. And by the time their vision is sort of gaining footing, someone else gets in the seat, and that person is like, well, no, 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 no. I got to have my vision because it's all about my vision, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they only have so much time to make their mark shown. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've uh, specifically experienced exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely understand. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like kind of a nature of the beast situation. And, and often for the person at the lowest level, you've experienced this, I'm sure. It feels mm-hmm. a bit like whiplash. Uh, certainly. Um, Why are we violently turning the train in another direction after we've got all this momentum? Yeah, and it, it takes a certain it takes a certain personality to force a bridge, if you will, uh, between what one perspective was to the next. Because um, at, at the end of the day, I'd like to think that everyone wants the best for the organization, whatever organization that is. Uh, nobody wants to show up and ruin anything intentionally, but yeah. how you get there, mm-hmm. is yeah. Similar. But that notwithstanding, um, jumping back, I guess, to the original point. So you, I guess, you, so your first introduction to the world of being more physical than just cerebral was track and field. Mm-hmm. Did you have a, I guess, a favorite? I'm not really a track and field person, so I'm gonna, you're going to have to talk to me like I'm a complete idiot, not just because of my face. Okay. But it's your favorite element of it, your favorite, what, like, like, did you do everything in track and field? Like, did you sprint? Did you long term? So... It was cross country, rather. cross country was my first sport because it was it started in the fall. It was like cross country is in the fall, tracks in the spring, um, and it was the situation for our coach where you know you're all in. Mm. Like if you don't, if you're a freshman, your first your first year is your freebie year. Like if you don't do track your freshman year in the spring, you can't come back and be on my team as a sophomore, kind of thing because it was a continuity of training. Mm. Which I kind of get, you know, I wouldn't want to invest all this time as a coach and just, like, let my athletes take half the year off. Um, Sometimes we would have, like, a little bit of a mix of other sports, but for the most part, everyone that was serious about cross-country would continue running track because we would do all the long-distance events in the spring, so it was a way to keep training year-round. And so it was cross-country in the fall, which is... Oh, man, it's been so long. I almost said 3.5, but it's 3.1 miles, five kilometers was the standard race. And sometimes it would be on a beach, on the sand, which was atrocious. 
And sometimes it would be like trail running through the woods, which was awesome. Um, and everything in between. Sometimes we'd like go run a course on a golf course. That was kind of cool. Um, while they're playing golf, that sounds kind of, no, no, while they're playing golf. No, not quite. Oh, that's not nearly as much. That would have been hilarious though. I mean, I do remember running through a field of cows in Japan and the primary concern was mad cow disease. It's like, don't go, <laughs> don't go near the cows during this race. It's like, don't uh, slow down. You'll die okay, forever. Do you okay. usually have an issue with people stopping to pet cows while they're racing in Japan? Uh, okay. Who knows? It was a cool, it was a cool place to be on the team though. Um, we got to travel a lot. That was fun. But anyway, in the spring it was, um, the expectation of our coach was that you'll run some kind of middle to long distance. So typically I would do 800 meter relay, not the relay, just 800, 1600, 3200, just gouge your eyes out lap after lap around the track. No fun. I'm exhausted just hearing this description. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel this had, you know, this is your, your younger, this is your more impressionable period in life. Do you feel this had a lot of impact on the identity that you built later on being a more physical person or being more of a team player? Oh, totally. Um, I had my introduction to leadership there. I had my introduction to being a team lead, a team player there. I had my introduction to being responsible for other people there to some extent. Um, I kind of like won the popularity contest by some kind of unusual magic. My coming into my junior year, that's you trying had, to say you're not normally popular. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> I'm highly divisive. Definitely one of those women that fits the stereotype of everyone either like loves you or thinks you're a bitch and there's no in between. No. At least that's some of the feedback I get sometimes. Okay, that's fair. Not so much in like people that know me well, but I often have people that get to know me later come back and be like, you were really intimidating when I first met you. I didn't like you. And I've now gotten to a point in my life where I'm like, well... Am I intimidating or are you just insecure? I mean, I can't be responsible for your <laughs> for your <laughs> emotional problems. I didn't like, like when I met you first either, and I have no <laughs> idea why. But I'm just like that with people I meet. So I'm just I'm just a terrible person though. That's all right. <laughs> there's there's permission for that here. Excellent, excellent. Um and I got myself off track. No, I'll take the blame for that one. Um so <laughs> we were talking about the impact that getting to thank like, you. Getting to running. Yeah. yeah. So that was my introduction to like leadership and being a team player. Um, and the funny thing was after I had a season as, um, as a team captain, I think I was a junior. Yeah. The next year, like I started noticing the differences in my body and my knees started hurting and I was getting burnt out. And, you know, as a hormonal, emotional teenager, there was like some existential moments of like, what is the meaning of life? Or I just get frustrated. So I ended up like not finishing the track season, I think my senior year, or maybe like I tried, I tried my hand at, uh, my cats dancing around in front of Nick. This is really funny. She'll leave you alone if you ignore. Um, I wish I hadn't made that joke about your cat just trying to climb into your mouth because it's literally just what she just tried to do. Yeah. She, uh, she's kind of a jerk that way. It's, it's okay. You know, I'll, um, I'm in her space. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's true. You're in you're in her house. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just I tried my hand at like long jump and high jump because I just wanted something different because I was burnt out and hurting all the time. Makes sense. And kind of annoyed with my friends, um, but that did not go well. And so I kind of left a little like, eh, and um, 
then, you know, you add in the mix things like boyfriends and drama and blah, blah, blah. And just like my last year was not like the golden hour I had hoped it would be, but like the junior year was pretty cool. Um, and there was actually another thing that happened that I wasn't expecting that was really cool. Like my friend Lauren and I heard about this weightlifting class that they offered at the high school. Really? Yeah. And, um, I, now I am convinced that it was specifically designed to have an excuse for the football players to train during the school day. That sounds like a possibility. Because the school was very well known for its football program. Like everyone else was, you know, way less funded, way less attention. Like this school is known across really the Southeast for its football. Um, and so it was like we signed we was like hey this sounds fun like let's just do this for shits and gigs let's do a lifting class and we're like skinny noodle cross-country girls in a class of like 30 big barrel-chested dudes like yourself um doing like the bigger faster stronger program where it's just basically incrementally increasing weight you know you're Mm -hmm. gonna do five by ten of this five by ten of that five by ten of that next week you're gonna go five pounds heavier and keep going until you're you know the strongest ever um, cause that's how it works. Right? right. And so that's where I learned how to squat and deadlift. And that's where I learned how to power clean. Um, at one point I came home and I was actually like building some muscle. And at one point I'm like walking around my house after class, after cross country practice one day in like a sports bra. And my mom's like, you have to stop lifting so much. You're starting to look like a boy. Oh yeah. This was before. And that was kind of a spark of pride for me is like, okay, I'm taking up some space over here. Like it was exciting. It was exciting to feel strong. Um, it was really a fun thing to do. My, my cross country coach hated it. Cause he's like, you guys are supposed to be doing high reps and low weight. And we're like, yeah, coach, but gains mm-hmm. like we would show up to cross country all sore from lifting. Um, but that was really the inception for the love of like picking up heavy shit. So, I'm glad you say that. If, if you don't mind me asking yeah, you, yeah, yeah. so you really experienced because I've only kind of watched it, particularly with the advent of CrossFit and the fit female becoming kind of a standard. You really experienced that societal shift, which at least I believe there's been from that whole "oh, you don't want to look like a man" to looking like a fit female is the way to be, like Strong wanting to be skinny. capable. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um, that I kind of lived through that a little. Um, I kind of took a break in college cause I just, you know, um, I was kind of sheltered through high school. So I, you know, I went a little crazy in college. Um, and I did not, I was not talented enough in any sport to do collegiate anything. They were like, you can have a walk on spot to the cross country team, which essentially equated to two a day practices for no guarantees that I wasn't going to get a scholarship. I wasn't going to maybe compete, nothing. So it's like, I don't really want that, but, um, kind of a waste of time. Yeah. Right. But I took on a couple jobs, like lifeguarding on campus and then like working in the weight room. And that was how I kind of stayed in shape. I would like kind of train, not even, you couldn't even call it training. Cause it was just so like hit or miss at that point. All I understood was running and bigger, faster, stronger. So I would just do like pump you up stuff. Um, and then towards like the end of my bachelor's degree, I actually got a job off campus at a weight room across the street. This little, the equivalent equivalent of a Gold's Gym type place. Oof, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Oh man, talk about like, it was so weird. 
to be like coached into tell like sell them the highest membership that you can and if they oh, give you yeah. an issue send them to the manager and we'll like negotiate but you're basically like selling each client a different month-to-month price based on how dumb they were and people that want to look rich and like, oh, I don't care. I'll pay $175 a month for just access to crappy equipment and no personal training. Like, dude, you are dumb. But <laughs> other people would walk in and like fight you for half an hour over an additional $5 a day or a uh, month. Excuse me. Like, why is it 35 and not 30? Um, so I did that for a little while. Um, and while I was there, I worked at like a bigger, I think it was a, a Gold's. And then I worked at a smaller place. And while I was there coming up on graduation, it was kind of like, now the army is coming into sight as a possibility. So I should take my fitness seriously. A friend told me about CrossFit and never looked back. Ooh, they sunk your, they sunk their fangs into, I say they, like I'm not part of that world, but you say the army was a possibility. Was there some ambivalence there? So I, military service was never, never, never on the radar. I don't think it ever is for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Until you meet that moment of desperation. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Um, So I was with um, my my significant other at the time was a guardsman. He was recently commissioned as I was graduating with my bachelor's. Basically, you know, we were looking at how do we pay the bills? How do we live? How do we live? Um, And so it became a matter of, okay, well, what are the opportunities that I can do? At the time, I wanted to teach Spanish. I'd switched my major to Spanish because I realized that the market was too um, flooded with uh, interior designers. So I changed my major from interior design to Spanish. I wanted to teach Spanish in the university. Um, That explains why your house looks the way it does. Does it? Yeah. To, to anyone, obviously, because people are listening, there's no video. Are there this Spanish influences here? Amazing. No, it's oh. not just that the internet is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well played. Like, I see where you went I from like, there. No entiendo esta conexión. <laughs> okay. But the, just the setup is just everyone just imagine the most well set up house you've ever seen in your life and just just go with that. Just just trust me. That's what it looks like. Thanks. But um, but that does explain that. But please continue. Appreciate it. Um, no, but it was it was like okay. We got to pay bills. At the time, he had student loan debt. I had student loan debt. I knew I was going to have to do more school at some point in order to get all the certifications I would need to teach. So it was like, how can we get some, like, no shit consistent money in addition to working? Essentially, what was odd jobs between waiting tables and working at a gym. And at one point, I, like, managed a lifeguarding company. Um, Like, wrote their schedule and stuff. But it was like, there was a moment where he was like, well, you know, you could look into the National Guard like me. And I was like, oh, well, I've never really thought about it. But my dad did the military and my brother's going to be in the Air Force. And, you know, you're already in the Army National Guard. Why not? Um, why not? So that became the inception for looking into those options and to truncate the next couple years in a way that fills gaps but does not bore everyone to death. Basically, um, I was supposed to go MI in the Guard. Um via OCS, made some decision changes, decided to compete for active duty. So I put in that paperwork, spent two years as a guard cadet working on my master's in Spanish, um, and ended up commissioning for active duty aviation. Cause by the, after two degrees, it was like, I'm in so much debt. I'm an idiot. 
I need to be on active duty. And that, you know, basically at the end of that master's degree, that relationship ended. And, um, you know, that was kind of like turn the page. Drove down to Fort Rucker in my Mustang with my little cat in my lap and a dream in my heart. That actually does sound like a, a like a music video. Yeah. <laughs> Just it does. Basically, I played I played a pretty good playlist on the way down. I do remember driving through um, the countryside of Alabama, Alabama, and being like, "Dear God, what did I do?" Like, how that's is, usually what anybody thinks when they drive through the countryside of Alabama. And yes, Alabama is throwing there- shade at you. How is there an installation out here? Right. <laughs> this is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would think it's pretty nice out there, though, with considering all that specifically what's in Fort Rucker. You're talking about aviation school, so. Yeah. It, honestly, the, the the area surrounding Fort Rucker, Alabama, is not impressive. No. No. And it's grown since I was there a million years ago, but uh, there's just not much to do. It's very much a place where you have to make your own fun, which, thankfully, we were good at. Like, we... We spent our downtime playing rock band and like playing on the lake on the post because it was like big enough that you could actually boat it. So we would like wakeboard and tube and stuff. Like occasionally we got down to the Gulf and visited Destin. That was fun. We had some fun friends too. I say we, I met my husband in flight school. We have been together this whole time since then. But um, so there's so many people who are going to like meet their significant others in AIT right now that are going to equate this story to that. I want you to know it's going to be your fault. Dude, I mean, we are a success story, but uh, there are plenty of people that don't have success, and that's okay. You know, I that you know, I I married and divorced that first person, so it's like you know, shit happens, and make you make the best decision you can with what you got. Sometimes you don't make the decision that's best, and you know it, and you do it anyways. And oh yeah, yeah, I wrote that book. As long as you're willing to pay the consequence later, it's like what? Here we are. <laughs> but, you know, there are some schools of thoughts that we make no real mistakes. That everything is just a step along the way. I don't know how much I believe that yet, but it sounds good. So yeah, and I guess it depends how you contextualize it too. Like, if a mistake is always equated to a lesson, mm-hmm. then really you're just always failing forward and learning, and that's a good thing. But if a mistake is a thing that you conceptualize as this is a reason for me to ruminate on reasons to hate myself for the whole rest of my life, then that's just there's no use to anybody. I think that's really important, especially not the individual. Absolutely, it's, that is a very very important point. Very important point. So is it safe to say that you were still into athletics at the time? Going down to Alabama? Yeah, so I I skipped a big part. Okay, so towards the end of my bachelor's, knowing I was going to basic training, that was a thing I remember now. So we were, I would have to complete basic training in order to go to officer candidate school, OCS, in between my bachelor's and master's. So I... um, started doing CrossFit on a recommendation of a friend at my university gym to get ready for basic training because I could run for days, do a decent amount of sit-ups, but like zero to standard push-ups, like short torso, long limbs, olive oil style structure. Like I just, my arms did not have enough meat to do a controlled motion down and up again. So it's really difficult to imagine you without muscle on you. I gotta be honest, I have no idea how that would even look. It's weird. It's it's very strange. Hey, we all start someplace. Yeah, I've been consistently gaining weight forever since I was about 25. Like, excellent muscle, usually muscle, sometimes some fat, but um, that that meter goes up and down. Um, such is the life of women, anyway. But uh, yeah, so I started doing CrossFit at my university gym to get ready for basic training, and uh, 
I got to a point where I was like, this feels awkward. I'm not doing it right. So I needed to get coached. So I started driving to a gym 30 minutes away in Charlotte every day for CrossFit classes. And I drank that Kool-Aid hard, man. Put on that tracksuit. I was in. I was hooked. I used to like, it would be so humid and hot and miserable. And I'd be like in the middle of doing like Karen or whatever. Mm. And be like, how are you going to lead soldiers if you can't complete this workout? I could be talking shit to myself in my head to get through the workout. And it worked. It was pretty, it was cool to like tap into that innate, like productive aggression. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Productive aggression. At one point I wrote an article about something similar and I called it at that time virtuous violence. But like. It sounds like a band name and I like it. It's out there. You want to start a band? It's yours. You have right. that name. Virtuous Violet. So yeah. Steal that one. Yeah. Do you remember the name of the of the box in Charlotte? Yeah, CrossFit Charlotte, uh, ah, by um, uh, the Hendels, Andrew Hendel, who I think was like a, at the time he was a really competitive masters athlete. Mm-hmm. And this was way back before CrossFit was very big. This was like, oh my lord, it was like two thousand ten. No. Wow. 2010 was 10 no, years I'm ago. Crazy. That just no. occurred to me. Now I feel old. It was 2007. I started going there the summer of 2007. Or maybe eight. Either way, it was in, like inception of CrossFit. You couldn't find gyms everywhere like you can now. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I trained there for a while and eventually switched to a different gym that was a little closer to where I was living. That was... Um, Oh, God, I can't remember the name of the box now. Ultimate CrossFit. And I uh, was there until I shipped down to Alabama, which at which point I found another CrossFit off post. So you did the, the standard thing of everywhere you go, you got to find Hopping. a place. Hopping, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've awesome. been a member of probably like seven or eight gyms by now. So I assume that set you up well physically for the courses you went to. I mean, it did, but it didn't. Like, I'll never... Again, you know, I have to give credit where credit's due. You know, there are people that were involved in my life that made all of this possible for me. And a lot of those people, or at some point, a person I called coach, and I have nothing but thank yous for them. Um, But again, you know, 20 years later, 15 years later, we know more now. Um, And a lot of the experience I had initially in CrossFit was... Um, there was less emphasis on movement standards. Oh, that is an absolute fact. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's just a universally known thing. I think Mm -hmm. the brand, the popularity of the concept caught on too quickly and it outpaced uh, the ability for headquarters to keep up with a format that says, let's make sure everybody's doing this safely, whatever. Certainly. And maybe they'll make the argument that's always been there. That's fine. I mean, whatever. Personal experience, right? Um, everybody has a different experience to some extent, but my experience was there wasn't enough emphasis on movement standards and people didn't really know what they should be. And people often had, um, universal cues that they would apply to the same, to all the athletes, no matter what, in order to try to fix a movement pattern that was problematic. But the issue was it was a bad cue Mm -hmm. for me. Like I was a terrible, like terrible, terrible squatter. I didn't realize I had a terrible squat until I went to my level one, and for anybody out there that's done this level one, they know they put you in a circle and oh, yeah. they're like, all right, so everybody do an air squat and whoever looks the weirdest and grossest, they put them in the middle. You're like, oh, this isn't to embarrass you. And you're like, 
the hell it is. This is super embarrassing. I was in the middle of the circle the whole weekend. Okay, this is specifically to embarrass you. So yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Just like, soak it up. But uh, they would put me in the middle over and over. And um, I was like, this is bad. I need to fix this. Um, and so I did some research on my own and talked to some people to kind of figure that out. But that's when I started queuing in on, I need to learn my own body better and I know it well enough to know when someone's giving me a bad cue now at that point I've been doing it a couple years I'll never forget one of my favorite coaches at a gym that will remain nameless um he was an awesome dude I just didn't like him coaching me because he didn't give me cues that worked for me he'd be like Meg send your butt back first and my gripe with that was well I have a really short torso and long thighs me sending my butt back first is an immediate chest down posture and that's the opposite of what I need in a squat especially like front squat. I have to keep my chest up. So it took me talking to a powerlifter buddy through a mutual friend at flight school who's like, oh yeah, I have the same problem. Uh, practice, you know, letting your knees bend a little bit first and then see what happens. And it was earth changing or earth shattering, life changing, whatever. I mashed those two things together just then. Well, if earth shatters, it changes your life. So right, there you go. Uh, one and the same. Um, it's like, oh, if I bend my knees a little bit first, I'm creating a space for my hips to drop down through and I can, for the most part, keep my chest up. This is like gonna change the way I squat. And that was kind of a moment of like, I can just look at people and figure out what they're doing wrong and tell them how to fix it. And part of, you know, part of me deciding to become a CrossFit coach was going to the, going to the certification to get the training to, to give good cues, and I, I did that. Um, but the more you practice it, you know, the more you notice like, oh, I can't just, I can't give blanket cues to yeah. everyone. This is, and it kind of all circles back to the initial discussion we had about, um, you know, broad generalizations about fitness. It's such an individual experience. Mm -hmm. And part of that has to be um, decent cueing, intelligent cueing that actually fits for the athlete and not just something that you pulled out of a book that says nine times out of 10 when a squat is messed up, it's because of this. Like, if you don't observe that in the athlete, you're, applying, that cue. Yeah. you're applying the wrong prescription. So. So as we're talking about your fitness evolution here, and we've gotten into CrossFit Meg, however long that lasted, I happen to know that you are quite well credentialed and quite well educated when it comes to the fitness world. So what was your inspiration to branch out from just the, the, the CrossFit sphere, if you will? Um, it was kind of a long journey, um, but really what it all... And I've told this story on other podcasts before, too, I think. But it, it all culminated with um, I can still be me even if I'm not a CrossFitter. And CrossFitter, CrossFit doesn't make sense for me anymore was essentially what I arrived to. Like, I spent so many years doing local competitions from that time, like, you know, from that inception in Charlotte all the way up through probably 2015 um, talking like eight years here, I would, I was coaching on and off at different gyms. I was like, if my math is wrong, correct me. No, it, it, seven, it's okay. So look at my face. It's, it still blows my mind. Like that we're in 2020. Exactly. I know. So someone says like eight years even. ago. That's, and that's still in the two thousands. My back starts hurting, you know, I just yeah, I feel old. It's, my knees start creaking. It's, like, it's but, kind of terrifying. Yeah. yeah. It's okay though. That's okay. All right. We'll make it. But. I think so. I think so too. Um, it was, it was kind of this progression of year after year, trying to get better at CrossFit and also be an RMA officer and like 
do my job well and stay in good shape and stay in competitive shape. And like, I realized I like competing. Um, and I always did pretty well, but I never really like podiumed hard, you know, I was never like top three or anything, but I was pretty darn good. And it kind of culminated going to, um, I went to regionals in Asia because I was in Korea with my unit at the time. And like at the time, CrossFit wasn't super huge in Asia. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not real great, but I'm competitive here. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> so it still I counts. Went you still went to regionals. Placed like dead last, but I got the regional experience, which was awesome. I'll never, never regret that. Um, but I always had it in my head that like, you know, it went from like that whole cross country thing of like, oh, I can be athletic to, you know, in CrossFit, like, oh, I can be really good at this. Like, I can be really good at this if I just try hard enough. I have the right coach. And it's just, you know, put in, like, the perfect ingredients for, like, a, you know, perfect CrossFit or pie, whatever. Here's the recipe. Um, but getting into a job shift later, I realized, you know, I was starting to have injuries, uh, nagging pain, a lot of issues. Um, I ended up having to have surgery on my shoulder. And I'll never forget, like, the moment it actually changed because I had for years been in this position of like, well, I want to be really good at this and I like competing, but you know, I kind of, I didn't realize that I was holding on to CrossFit as a piece of my identity mm. and being a competitor as a piece of my identity until I overheard this, um, sports psychologist slash coach, you know, talking to another soldier and the soldier was like, you know, I used to be so competitive in marathons like I used to love it I used to love training and I used to love running and I've since joined the army and got married and had kids and like it's just I want that feeling back I want that passion back I just don't have it in running anymore I go for a run and I just feel like dead batteries it's it doesn't feel the same way it used to and the guy said to him it sounds like you've tied being a marathon runner to your identity and maybe you should explore other ways that you can express your athleticism that makes more sense for your life right now it doesn't like completely drain you and it was like somebody fucking smacked me in the face with a baseball bat like (laughs) in that moment I had permission to not be a competitive crossfitter anymore and I had needed that for a long time because it didn't make sense I was too busy trying to be an army officer to to have like (laughs) visions of the games or even visions of being like a decent local competitor you know like Chandler Smith is rolling over wherever he's right now (laughs) ears are burning but go ahead But it was just like, oh, God, thank God I don't have to do this anymore. Like, what if I just focus on being a tactical athlete? I got to be I got to be good at moving a long distance with a heavy bag on my back and occasionally carrying really heavy shit 200 meters or so. That's all I have to be good at right now. And year round at that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you can just train up for a season. It's like, no, you might have to do this all the time. That's a completely different I don't world. have to do 15 muscle-ups in a row to be validated as an athlete. Because someone at one point in CrossFit decided that muscle-ups are the epitome of athleticism and we should all be doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. as people that do CrossFit, there's these handful, or I'm an, an ex- I'm a CrossFitter in recovery. Nick's still, <laughs> Nick's still on the back. dope. You, can, you can't you can always, always go back. back. Um, we will always welcome you. But there's a handful, you know, for the listeners, there's this handful of movements that are really difficult to do. And it's kind of like when you get good at these, those are indicators that you are that person that's competitive and successful in this, in this sport. And it's muscle-ups and, you know, handstand push, handstand walks and, like, you know, really heavy snatches. The cool and it's, human it's, tricks, yeah cool human tricks and it's evolved to levels that 
are uneven, not even imaginable now. Like I've been out of the game for a long time, but I'm sure they're doing like, I don't know, double backflip to weighted muscle up to rope climb 10 store. I don't know. Like, that, that was in the last open. Yeah. Hybrid movements. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, that was like such a relief to have that moment of like, I can still be me and I can still be an athlete without doing this. And so that was the inception of, you know, becoming exclusively a tactical athlete. And that, that was life changing. So, you know, you keep using this term tactical athlete, and I feel like that's something that has existed for a while, but hasn't exactly been addressed or perhaps codified. Um, would this, ex- would you say rather that this experience had a lot to do with the birth of Valkyrie Project? Uh, yeah, to some extent. Um, I was getting into a different job that was not aviation. Uh, the Army had divested my airframe, and I had to be, you know, even more of a physical performer than I was before for this new job. And uh, had to do things. <laughs> do things and stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, basically, it was a matter of me. I reached out to a local coach um, who had a good reputation, who was like a co-owner of the gym I was at. And I was like, hey, will you train me? I don't want to go out for these, this, you know, these basically they were physical gates. They were requirements we had to do in order to complete the course. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to just go do okay. Um, you know, in a, in yet another male dominated field where there's only a couple women, like I need to crush these events. I'm not going to try and go lead these men unless I can keep up with them or beat them. Um, and he got me there after like a couple months of focused training and with minimal rucking and running really minimal i covered maybe four miles with a ruck on my back in the months training up for that event and i pr'd it by 28 minutes and beat most of my class that's impressive that sounds like some good training and that was it was great and it was a lot of the principles that i learned in that training are things that i've brought with me to our athletes in valkyrie project Essentially, the, the, the idea that you do not have to run and ruck 10 million miles a week mm-hmm. in order to be good at running and rucking. It's well-placed interval training, um, well and intelligently orchestrated metabolic conditioning with, you know, essentially a, a heavy-handed dose of stuff that makes you bulletproof, basically. Um, so that was a big lesson, but really it was inspiring to see that that was possible because especially talking about women... Um, as athletes, you know, the Q angle and, you know, all these other factors, Lord, don't get me started on like birth control. And this, I don't even think we have the time to crack into all these things, but all that to say, there are female athlete factors that play into why we get injured more than men when we're doing high volume rucking and running. Um, but it's just not necessary to break yourself in order to be good at those things. And especially, you know, the thing I realized is like these women looking to do, um, you know, Ranger School or SFAS or like the, the, the difficult tasks that are now available to women is you only have to be really good at those events the one time you do them at the school or the assessment. This is true. And this yeah, is something I learned, you know, I have to credit Chris McNamara for because I learned that from my coach. I learned that from him was that um, you you don't have to you don't have to keep doing really fast 12 mile ruck marches, you know, repeatedly in order to stay in the job or get the tab or whatever it's hit the gate, 
you know, you're going to come out of it a little broken off and then you're going to go on with your life and train like an intelligent person trains. That's like, you know, you, you're on the bench until you're not right. Mm-hmm. We're not like, we're not like NFL players that have game night every, what is that? Friday, third day? I don't know. Like, when don't do, tell anybody. I'm when, not really watching. NFL. When do they play foosball? Oh, the, the, I don't game, know the sports game football. Game something like yeah, something like that. Everybody Sundays, that's something? a football player fan out there right now is just like just hating on me right hating now. Hating both uh, of us. Absolutely. Yeah. But like anyway, everyone in my family, all of them. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. Same. But anyway, yeah. I'm not a big foosball person. <laughs> but definitely like making the, um, the reference to Waterboy there. Play foosball. I, I, I absolutely got it. Thanks. Just in case I had to explain it. Um, I, you did not, but it's okay. We're here. Okay. Here we are explaining our jokes, which just makes it awkward, which is the best part. <laughs> I love making it so awkward. Um, yeah, no, I, that was, that was such a big, powerful lesson to take away. Like, you know, you have to like show you've got some cojones at certain moments in these schools and assessments. And then after that, congratulations, you have the job or you have the tab or the thing. And now mm-hmm. your job is to maintain a sufficient level of fitness to do that job well later. I think that's an important message to put out to anyone there who's trying to pass one of these gates, as you would put it. You only have to be stupid once. Everything after that is common sense. And it you really only is. have to be stupid good once. Mm-hmm. Go ham, perform, leave it all on the line, and then, yeah, go home and recover. So, on that note, that seems to be the, I guess, birth of VP, Valkyrie Project. So let's talk a bit, if you would, about where it started and where you are now. Because there was a, I'm going to call it a, a period of transition there, mm-hmm. of growth, if you will. Yeah. So really the inception was um, me having a chat with my coach, Chris, one day and being like, you know, like, at the time, we, uh, I was putting the feelers out for brands that supported tactical athletes just to see what was out there. Um, and, a, and a mutual friend was heavily involved in Softleet. And I thought it was cool that they had like a brand and training and swag and like stuff, you know, for tactical athletes. I'm like, this is cool. Um, I want to... I want to like participate in this. I'm that person now, a tactical athlete. I got to get the swag. I got to do this stuff. I got to do the things. You got the t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually, I ordered a t-shirt and, um, it came in the mail with, uh, with like, a softly condom. Yeah. Was, really? Like, with a special package for softly. And on it, it said something like practice safe operator <laughs> application or some bullshit like that. Wow. It was meant okay. to be funny. Um, and so I, I bring that up not to talk shit about softly. I do bring it up to concept, like to paint a picture in your head of where I was coming from at the moment. I was like, wow, this brand really is not for me. Mm-hmm. Not for me in the sense of like, I don't like them. Not for me in the sense of this was not made for me. This is not made with me in mind. This is not a brand for women. Yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah. And part of it too was like, I had been shopping for that shirt on, the website and I didn't see any women's cut, any women's sizes. That's a common thing. So I was like, uh, okay, that's annoying, but I've been here before. But then it's like, okay, this really is, yeah, this is not mine. This is not designed to be a brand that like speaks to me as a consumer or an athlete. 
Um, and I even, you know, at the time I looked and didn't see any female specific like training stuff on their page. I think there is now, um, which I'm happy for. I'd love for more people to get into this, you know, particular niche. It shouldn't be a niche anymore, really. But um, it was just like, why isn't there something for me, for women that are female tactical athletes? So I started looking. I dug and dug and dug and dug and found a whole lot of nothing, honestly. Um, if anything existed then, I maybe didn't dig enough deep, deep enough to find it. But I was like, who's doing this? No one's doing this. Mm. And all jobs and schools were open to females last year. At the time, it was like 2016. Or when yeah, I started, it was 2017. I'm like losing track of time. But anyway, it was very recent. And it's like, how is there not something in place to help women like transition? Because if you think about you know who the feeder jobs for things like SFAS and Ranger School or even like BUDS and the SEALs and all that, like what's the general profile of the, the feeder? I'm asking. It's not a rhetorical question. Like, Oh, it really sounded rhetorical. Like Job-wise, job who feeds those schools? What I would think usually people coming from combat arms. or Soldiers and sailors and Marines yeah. from combat arms. Yeah. yeah. Which at the time, until 2016, was All dudes. only dudes. Yeah. So you talk like, let's say Soldier A and Soldier B have an equally big heart. You know, hmm. the right mindset, the right attitude, the right drive. Soldier A is like a 22-year-old infantry that weigh, infantryman that weighs 190 pounds and grew up, you know, in that profile. Hmm. And Soldier B is a 22-year-old female logistician who weighs 135 and has done that thing once and it was in basic training. You know, like, so there's a big disparity there especially if you want um, the right people for the job. It's not to say that she's not who you want. She's not who she needs to be right now. Who gives her the training to help her get her fitness up where she needs it to be, where she's got that appropriate, like, um, understanding of what it's going to take to succeed in a place like that. Um, So, yeah, Valkyrie Project was supposed, was, and to the extent that I'm possible, the extent I'm able to make it, the response to that question, like until a whole bunch more women are feeding into these combat arms roles, like there's gotta be a way to fill that gap so that the opportunity is still available to women that didn't necessarily get a start in a combat arms job. Um, Which is a really difficult time too. You're talking about the evolution of not just the fitness industry, but the military as a whole, because as you just pointed out, so 2016 hits, Boom, all these jobs are open, but if you've got Joe Snuffy coming out of the infantry, he already knows how to get hurt, <laughs> to put it. I mean, there's no better way to put it, but how to go out and hurt himself and keep moving. But then you might have Jane Snuffy, who is... And let's, let's, let's be real about something, too. The physical aspect of the physical half of all this can always be added. The character element is the part that you have to have somewhat innate. So you'll come in with that character... Just maybe you haven't done the stupid thing yet. So it's just that, again, Joe Snuffy will have all of his buddies around him who've done it before and they'll have that physical element of it. But then Jane Snuffy, who could be just as much, if not more of an attribute or an, uh, not more of an uh, asset, an asset rather, yeah. yeah, to that world, 
just doesn't have that that bridge just doesn't have that um that background so yeah and i think what you're describing too is a lot of what we talk about especially in like special operations types of jobs oh absolutely like ranger school sucks for a little while and you just have to be personable enough and fit enough to get through it but mm-hmm. like being in ranger regiment or green being a green beret or whatever like in those assessments there's a very focused you know, look at who you are at your core and how well you function when you're sucking. Oh, yeah. And there's oh, certainly, you know, women that can be shown to have that quality. But it's like, you now how do we get the, the fitness part there? Which is always the, that's always the variable. That's the thing that can be changed. That's the lever that can be, that can be switched, but it's at who you are. Everyone listening to this who has any type of military experience knows at least one or two people who are really, really fit, but are terrible people mm-hmm. and just didn't make it through that selection for one reason or another usually associated with that. So yeah, that's, I, I can't imagine the, uh, just how unsupported you'd probably, you probably have to feel, you know, because it's that whole world is now open to you, but there's no, again, no support for it. Yeah. And honestly, like when I had the idea, I wasn't too nervous about being unsupported because I had my coach mm-hmm. and I felt really grateful to have him because of all of his experience and knowledge and felt like, Clearly, he, he knew what he was doing because I performed very well. I beat my own expectations for those events. Um, and that's the sound of my cat falling off the top of the china cabinet. That was frightening. Well, she that. actually jumped. She didn't fall. Um, that was a fall. Don't, don't try to cover it for her. It's loud. <laughs> You're crazy. Um, I, you know, I was comforted to have him because I had confidence in his abilities to train me. But I, I was sad for all the other women out there that, that have the right heart and just not the right training and thought back to all those times I had gone to the on-post gym for a little quick workout and spotted, you know, Joe Snuffy trying to train Jane Snuffy. And she's oh, like yeah. awkwardly moving underneath too much weight or whatever. And it's like, oh, as a coach, you're just like, that's not how this should be. I mean, there's a whole other aspect of the female factors, but just taking someone who's not in shape and throwing a bunch of hard work at them, like, is not the right answer. There's a progression here and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, who's, you know, who's taking care of her? Who's taking care of, like, PFC Jane Snuffy, who one day has the, you know, the potential to be exactly what the military needs her to be, to be, like, a lethal weapon and an asset, you know? Maybe not even, like, lethal in the sense of tip of the spear jobs, but lethal in the sense of, like, you know, the people that you look for to have the crazy out of the box ideas that save everyone else's ass. Like that potential is there. Um, but yeah, it, it it did feel weird. And and honestly, the big thing was no one's doing this. Someone has to do this. I guess it has to be me. (laughs) Why is it? You look around for a while. Damn it. All right. uh, I guess I'll do it. Shit. And, you know, I was excited, but I was, I was nervous because I had all this practice training, like being a coach in person for CrossFit, but I didn't have any experience programming for women or anyone else, really. I'd always gone to other people for my programming. So that was a big missing piece, and that's why I asked him, that's why I asked Chris to uh, team up with me because he had that programming experience that I didn't. So talk to me then, and I, I guess about how that, how'd you actually start? What was day one like? We started out with... We hosted a um, 
it was it was essentially like a focus group mm-hmm. where we brought a bunch of military female athletes in, some that were members of his gym, and someone that were fr- some that were friends of mine, um, and we just basically took that time to ask questions like, "What are you looking for in a brand in a fitness brand that's designed for female military athletes?" And initially, I did um, I did see like the merchandise aspect of it as a big focus because it was an opportunity to to make the money that would need to keep a thing like this afloat. Mm. Uh, but what I realized through the progress of that focus group was this, this can't just, this can't be about the merch. You know, like some people will make the argument that Softleet is a lifestyle brand now because they sell t-shirts and coffee and stuff. And like, I honestly, I promise I'm not like, this is not an opportunity to talk shit about Softleet. But I was taking cues from other brands in order to feel this thing out, right? And I looked at Mountain Tactical, and it's like, okay, this is almost exclusively like online programming. You know, it's like, it's, so it becomes a question of what are you selling? Am I selling T-shirts or am I selling greatness through fitness? And so I was like, okay, T-shirts can come later, but the focus and the center of this always needs to be how do we help women get what they want and meet their goals so they can go on to do great things. Um, but we had the focus group, uh, we bought everybody lunch and, and offered them, um, a month of free training to just start it. Um, and Chris wrote the program and I did basically everything else podcast, um, put us up, you know, got us all set up with a website and, um, you know, created a forum on Facebook so that people could ask questions and set up the mentorship program where we have current and previous service members in there answering questions for women that are athletes and yeah. So was the podcast the part, or rather the podcast was initially part of like the original idea. You wanted to have mm-hmm. this kind of full spectrum community associated yep. with it. It wasn't just going to be the training, but I also wanted the community to be a big aspect of it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Stealing a little bit from CrossFit there. We'll allow it. <laughs> Did they? I, I literally never listened to the CrossFit podcast. I'm sure it's awesome. No, not so much. Just the uh, the idea that, and it's, it's not even fair to say it comes from CrossFit. There's nothing in CrossFit that is uniquely CrossFit, really. I'm going to get hate for that. But um, it's the idea that uh, when it comes to group fitness, when you create a community around it, mm-hmm. it just makes that more effective. And I think I've watched that happen with the Val- Valkyrie Project as a community. Absolutely. And that's it's a big point to bring up because... That was specifically the purpose. I mean, the, the the podcast was always going to be kind of an educational aspect. Like, I'm going to try and bring in some experts and talk about women-centric things that are, you know, important that you want to hear. Because a lot of that information can be just hard to find if you don't know where to look. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But also, you know, for the, for, the, for the forum, the community aspect of it being, um, if I am Jane Snuffy, that's, you know, a 22-year-old logistician, and I want to go do one of these things, like... <laughs> Who on earth do I talk to, you know? And right. I think the longer um, the longer I was in, the longer I realized networking is a big deal. And sometimes PFC Jane, PFC Jane Snuffy does not have a network, mm-hmm. you know? How is she going to, like, ask a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend if she can talk to a Green Beret? You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, some of those opportunities are really far remo- removed, especially for the, um, for the junior enlisted, oh, yeah. right? It's... I was an officer, so it's easy to say, like, I'm sure I know somebody that knows somebody, but it looks very different from, from the lowest level. And, and really, the junior enlisted ranks are the ranks that, in many ways, are going to carry this torch forward if we want this model to work of, you know, females 
side by side with men in combat arms, like they are it. So having that community aspect and giving them resources was a big part of it. Outstanding. Outstanding. So how's that all worked out? I mean, looking at where you started and what your intent was to where you are now, did it work? Um, yeah, I think it did. And it still shows a lot of potential for growth. Um, I'm limited in my ability to, to grow the business very much just because I do have a, you know, a day job outside of this. Um, but we continue to get new members. People interact in the forum. People hit PRs all the time doing the workouts. People are doing things that they couldn't do with their bodies before. Um, we've had a couple athletes successfully complete schools and assessments. Um, so the proof, you know, has for the most part seems to have been in the pudding. Um, you know, I'm, I am now basically a one woman show, um, Chris's business was booming when we started working on this thing together. And I think he just had too many irons in the fire and, you know, he needed to focus his efforts on his, you know, keeping his own house, so to speak. Sure. Um, but I'll always be grateful for that time that he did spend helping me stand it up. Cause when it was time for him to move on and, and keep doing his own thing, I was in a position of like, I have to figure out how to write programming. I, you know, I can't go shopping for some other female hope to find a female tactical athlete that has a perspective of our, uh, our athletes, you know, that shared perspective and also can program and has the experience. Like it just needs to be me. It has to be. Absolutely. So I spent a lot of money taking a lot of training through OPEX and other people to get the programming training. And that's turned out really well. I've learned a lot. And especially taking the, the women are not small men online course through Dr. Stacy Sims was earth shattering i'm embarrassed i didn't know more about my own damn body and period but that's the world we live in like that i think that combined with me taking over programming as a person with experience doing female tactical athlete stuff was really what brought like an edge to the programming like we are now set up to accommodate women's cycles so that when you're Coming into I remember this. that discussion. That yeah. still blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely applied that. Nice. And it works. But it's always an really? awkward kind of, Well, so... It, now you got to talk about it a little more. I, I do want story. to talk about it a little bit more. Um, So, I guess for anybody curious, I do a bit of training. I have been known to fitness on occasion. Um, I'm across that level too and some other stuff. So, on occasion, I'll just train soldiers individually. I had a couple that were female. And there's... Um, one had gotten injured and the other just, you know, life happens. So sometimes you fall out of shape. Um, but the thing, I, I don't want to say her name, but like at the same time I do, because what I loved about her the most was I could put any workout in front of her and she was not the most fit person in the world, but she showed up ready to die. And if she's hearing mm -hmm. this, like she knows I'm talking about her. She showed up literally just ready to pass out and die. She did not That's care. your favorite athlete to train because you know they'll put the work in. Yes, they will. Even if it sucks. Even like, okay, so on the bad side of that though... <laughs> she would sometimes overdo it. I mm. thought, okay, stop. They're the ones you yeah. have to rein in. But pump the brakes. But all the all the effort was there. The character. That's what I was talking about before. So that's where all that character is. But what was really cool is to be able to program for her based around her cycle in order to make things more efficient. Now it worked out in the end. But let me tell you, and any dude is going to run to this. It's awkward to bring that up because I find at least that women aren't used to a man being willing to say, Hey, so where are you at on your cycle right now? <laughs> and you get that face like, excuse me. Some females don't want to tell other females. Understandably. It's like, why are you asking me about excrement in my body? 
Right. No, right. no. So, and it, this is important to bring up, and it's another kind of like evolution of society I think is happening. This is we start off just really, really uncomfortable talking about just ourselves. We're kind of getting away from that. I think it's just a, a, a leave a behind of the more Puritan origins of society. But mm-hmm. as people just kind of get over themselves and they're just more and more comfortable with it, yeah, it's becoming more of a topic of discussion. I think you'll see more research done. Uh, particularly in the athletic spectrum about that. But still, as for right now, in reality, it's really, really difficult, particularly someone such as myself, to just walk up to someone and be like, okay, look, I have an awkward question for you, but I need to know when your last period was and just roughly when like you are in your cycle so I can program. And you know, I'll, I'll thankfully be able to go into the explanation. I'll be able to cite Stacey Sims and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. Just back myself up. And thankfully, you can't really tell when I'm blushing because... <laughs> <laughs> That would be really, really Do you want awkward. to explain uh, for everyone why we can't tell I'm your really question. dark. That's <laughs> not like super, super dark. I'm like dark total, okay. like mocha, whatever. But, um, but yeah, so all that to say, it, it, it works. It's very, very important. Um, and I would like to see, or I'd like, I would like to continue seeing us move forward as a society and be able to like talk about those things. But yeah, it is an absolute thing to know. Like if you're a woman who does not understand the impact of your cycle on your training capacities, definitely dig into it. It is absolutely worth knowing. Um, I'm a little jealous as a dude <laughs> because I don't know that any research has been done to see if the same thing happens on the guy side. But I think there is some like identified hormonal fluctuation that men go through, but it's just. I thought it was just moody. I think it's not as extreme. I've, I've read this somewhere. It. I haven't like dug into it deeply, but yeah, there is. There is science out there that shows men go through like hormonal fluctuations as well, and it can contribute to moodiness. But it's probably not as structured as, as a woman's, or even though. just as like. I think it's just drastic the symptoms right. and the mood swings and the you know the physical symptoms and stuff. But yeah, it's been it's been life changing, and I've, and a lot of what I learned you know in that particular course I've applied in my own life, and I've said a couple times on previous episodes that I stopped doing hormonal birth control in order to just see what happens and like I see the difference. Mm. My symptoms are a little worse, you know, coming into like period time, but like that magical window of performance of, you know, 13% higher output for free prior yeah. to ovulation is noticeable. And that's that's a real feel like number a too. Stunt. That 13%. That's an actual yeah, 13%. That's a big number. Yeah. That's significant. Um I'm just going to pause for a second while our our galloping steeds over there get situated. They're so gorgeous too. They just their their limbs are so long. You know, the greyhound limbs are so long that like to get comfortable, it's like. I mean, and, you have long limbs too. Don't judge them. Yeah, that's. Are we leaving true. this in? We should. We should. They what? Why are we leaving this in? We should. Oh yeah. Talking about your dog. Sure. sure. Why not? Um, they just unfortunately like make a lot of noise in the middle of the night when I'm trying to sleep. But am I the only one that when like you walk into somebody's house and they have dogs, you ignore the people and talk to the dogs first? Not at all. Okay, good. That's, I know a lot of people that do that. That's the right way to do it. Yeah. If, anyway. if, you, if the dog trusts you, then the person can trust you. That is a big... fact. So, so much so that anytime someone's like, oh, my dog just doesn't like people, I get really self-conscious because if I ever run into a dog that doesn't like me, I start wondering if I did something wrong, wrong in life. Me? Exactly. It's like, did I fail? Have, have I become secretly evil? What do you know about me, exactly. oh, wise one? <laughs> you know that I don't know. I just start second-guessing myself. Thankfully, that hasn't happened yet. That's hilarious. Yet. But you never know. That's funny. Um, quick pause. We will probably cut this out, but just a note to let you know that you're yeah, doing I, a lot of gall- get hand galloping. That's okay. We can probably edit it out, but just so you're aware. Okay. I didn't realize I was hand galloping. You're so. good. 
I knew it was happening. I didn't even think I was like I'm a hand talking person. You got animated. I got excited, especially when I talked to that one athlete I was telling you about. Oh, she's just so much fun. So how did that turn out with her? Actually, I'm curious. I know you're the one asking the questions today, but I'm curious. Like, it's, what, a, it's a discussion. What difference did you guys see when you started applying like different training inputs based on or whatever it was that you did? Well, first it was a <laughs> first it was a bit of a fight just to get her to stick to just the programming. So she would train with me after work. Um, but what I did not know is that she would then go train again after. Which sounds good. Guys, stop but doing not, that. So a fact that I want everybody in the world yes, to realize please. is more is not always better. No. When it comes to fitness, more is not always better. Um, that's why we have that term dosing. And dosing, for those who wouldn't just figure it out on their own, is just as with any prescription, you dose a certain amount of a given chemical for a given effect, and more is not always better. Same thing when it comes to fitness. So you dose a certain amount of exercise, a certain amount of intensity, duration, what have you, in a given day or within a training cycle, more is not necessarily better. So I was training her for high intensity, no more than 30 total minutes of high intensity every day. Well, not every day. Um, three on, one off. I like to do three on, one off. Whenever well, that's I can like a it. significant dose. That's, it was a lot. And you know, central nervous system it, right? tax. And yeah. Well, two things are happening. The one, um, there are... So let's talk about issues that I have. Quick rant. Issues that I have with what's happening in the military-specific fitness sphere. Right? Here comes one of Nick's real quick moments. Yeah, if real you ever quick, follow, right? If you follow him on Facebook, he goes, real quick, yeah. and then he, so, he jumps on the soapbox. Real Please. quick. So two things that happen. One, diets. Okay? Because anytime someone's like, okay, I want to be fit, they think I want to be fit tomorrow. And the things look, when you start wherever you are, you don't get unfit overnight, and you're not going to get fit overnight. That's one part of it. And then two, there's the, oh, I want to just do this until I get where I want to be. It's like, you understand, like, wherever you are in your fitness spectrum journey is going to be a result of a couple of things, genetics, blah, 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 blah. But majority of your lifestyle, who the person that you choose to be, it's going to be a reflection of the person that you are with, of course, exceptions, small percentage, blah, 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 right? And people kind of forget that and think, oh, I'm going to go on this diet that I saw on this image somewhere on Facebook and I'm just going to follow this and lose weight like that. Which I don't know if that caught, but like that, right? And the thing, oh, I'm going to lose the weight. No, no, it's not going to happen like that. You can lose a bunch of water weight. You're going to get sick. You can lose a lot of muscle, which is really, really important. And it's just going to screw your body up. You can do metabolic damage and so on and so forth long term. It is a long commitment that you're making and people don't realize that. So that's part one. And then part two, they think is the more that I'm suffering, then the better I'm doing. And that's also not a fact. If I'm starving myself and training yeah, really hard, I'm that's the right answer. Right? And I'm doing like two a days and I'm not sleeping well, then you know what? All this weight I'm losing is going to be good. No, that's your body falling apart. Like it just doesn't work that way. So then that will happen. Then as the trainer, you have an athlete that has this drive and I cannot overemphasize just how much drive she had when she would come in. But then at the same time, she's doing all these other things. So she'll come in and she's, you know, she's given her all, but there's only so much she can do, but I'm not realizing that her total output you know, is being can, affected by all these other things. We can equate this to overdosing. Yes. That is Exercise a is a dose. It. Absolutely. Overdosing. She's overdosing and then under recovering repeatedly. And that ended up being her long-term problem. That said, I was still able to see a bit of difference. in once I started, one, figuring out where her cycle was rotating, um, putting in the more, I'm going to do some long duration, like our longer rows, a little bit of running here. Hey, now 
we're going to do some heavy lifting, super, super high intensity stuff. We're going to burn out really fast. Took to it really well. Um, her partner, she has, has a wife, would also come in with us. And I love it when family nice. gets involved because that's, if you're married to somebody and they're not on the same journey, like it's just. Oh fun. man, Dan and I can't train each other though because we fight yeah, all the time. You can't train each other, but you both <laughs> have to be kind of about I the same. I love you. Life, you go, know what I mean? go, go lift over there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But um, so they, they both got involved together. I don't think they were cycling together. I think eventually they do. And just, it just, it worked out. It just, it's hard to for me to, to really properly quantify. I didn't have, and I wish I had taken like data, mm-hmm. but just it worked. You could see that it just worked. But I also had to attack those other things, and that's the thing about fitness: uh, the multiple spectrum attack. Like you can't just you can't just do one part of it. You know, you have to eat. Oh, she was eating terribly too. But anyway, so that's my rant. You, you, you yeah. Get my point. No, I hear you though, because I've I've been in a similar position with my individual athletes where, you know, and I won't call anybody individually out, but you know who you are. <laughs> like there's some people that I like have to fight with to sleep more. Mm-hmm. It's like, you are training really, really hard. That is, that is when the breakdown happens. The buildup happens. The rebuild, I guess I should say yeah. happens when you're sleeping. Like this has to be a priority. It just does. If you want results, yeah. end of story that, and you know, I've seen the the more is better mentality. Um, I think people too sometimes feel like if if they're not suffering, then they can't trust the program. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's not just like it's not more is better, but also if I don't feel wrecked every single day, then mm-hmm. I haven't done it right. And I think that's another that's a bit of um, uh, a fallacy that has come out of the advent of CrossFit in some ways. Is like people often start out feeling like they got hit by a bus every single day and then they see fast results and later down the road it becomes like well if i don't feel like i got hit by a bus every single day then i'm not doing it right and like you know that's not how this works you know like we talked about earlier if you're talking about an untrained person to a whole lot of activity the curve is going to be really steep in improvement it's eventually going to level out and it's really at that level out area where a good coach has to put in a lot of practice effort Mm. and measured effort to say all right well how do we make like micro improvements and also like keep you healthy and functional right because and, you're and not a professional athlete you are a soldier or you are a your soldier in a lot of cases you're a mother to person in society yeah. you're talking about sacrificing um sleep one thing that i run into more often than i would like to admit is um particularly as we're talking about female tactical athletes you have a lot of single mom female tactical athletes these days um, I don't want to say a lot. I don't have data to back that up, but just say I, in my personal experience, run into a lot of single mother, female tactical athletes who have to make that, uh, who have to balance just being the tactical athlete. Then I got to go home and be mom. And sometimes I have to be dad too. And so on and so forth. And what are you going to sacrifice? You're not going to sacrifice time from your kid. You're not going to sacrifice time from work. You should. Um, <laughs> but uh, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you have to sacrifice something that's going to be sleep. So I get that. But it's also worth mentioning though, that, if you were to add just one piece of any of this, just the sleep would make the hugest difference. Yeah. But it's hard to do, you know? And what would happen if you took, you know, if you are spending two hours in the gym every day, what would happen if you forced yourself to spend an hour and allowed yourself to have that hour of sleep on the back end at home? Oh, yeah. Like. Maybe. And, and then ask yourself, too, if I'm in the gym for two hours, what am I doing? And what could I do better in just one hour? Mm-hmm. It's quality over quantity all the time. Mm-hmm. But. It's that, uh, what we're saying, that's that suffering that, oh, I feel like I, I need to be completely wrecked every time. It's like, no, it doesn't work that mm-hmm. way. 
I come out of powerlifting, which is like the, the world of, well, I need to feel wrecked today. And no, you still don't do that. If you come out of every workout feeling like you're about to die, you'll die. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a really fast track to illness and and injury. Um, you know, something that something else that we've kind of incorporated that is, that has kind of evolved since we started VP is now, you know, we started out with one track. We have three track options now in order to accommodate those different levels of capability. So like the more advanced athlete that maybe used to be a collegiate athlete or a crossfitter that just wants to stay in good tactical athlete shape, they'll do black track. Mm -hmm. A person that actually has a school or assessment coming up, is going to need the higher volume leading up to the event with a bit of a taper. Um, that's the green track. Gold track is for, you know, I cannot bench my body weight and I can't do pull-ups, you know, this kind of like kind of threshold items that you see sometimes in schools and assessments where people are looking for certain performance outputs. It's like, okay, well, let's get you your first pull-up. Let's get your strength up first. Um, so we do have those three track options. And I think another useful tool that we've used a lot is essentially using, for the most part, um, a lot of the, the workouts are dictated by RPE. Excellent. Um, because we know that, you know, if every the first two weeks of every month of our programming is follicular, right? The magical unicorn dust where you have 13% higher (laughs) output for free. And then you ovulate. And then the last two weeks of every month is luteal, um, where we have more slow, steady start, slow, steady state cardio, um, lower intensity, lower explosiveness, because we also know that's a, a, a window of time where, you know, ligaments are more likely to be injured just because of your hormonal profile. Um, you just blew so many minds right now. Blowing, <laughs> blowing minds left and right since mm-hmm. 2017. Um, so our, our programming is built that way. You got two weeks of follicular and two weeks of luteal. And if you need to backtrack to get synced up with the program, you can do that. And the RPE specifically tells you how you're supposed to feel. So if it's 70% on a scale of zero to 100, um, like this should be challenging, but I'm not dying. Or if we're doing a lactic threshold workout. You're talking rate of perceived exertion. Yep. RPE, rate of perceived exertion. Um, it's hard to say, isn't it? I'm, I'm also like just, I don't know, getting a little tongue twisted. Um, RPE 90% or 98%, like that output should feel very different. Mm-hmm. You know, And we have a very deliberate, long, slow flush in the middle of every week at around 65%. We're just like, just move just move until the work is done. And some workouts are even set with a threshold of like, if you're on this lactic workout, if your um, output has diminished by 25% from any, any iteration after the first stop, stop training because we've now met the intent. IE, if you're doing shuttle sprints, minute one with a rest, you, you know, you get X number of meters. If by round five, even though it's an eight round workout, if by round five, your performance has diminished enough that you can no longer hit, you know, 75% of the initial score, then stop. That means that we've, we've put the gas down and now you're hitting that threshold and it's time to be done. So you're teaching people auto regulation. Trying to, Hmm. I mean, it's a little bit difficult on a digital platform. We have lately also been doing, um, and I I missed the last one last month because it's just been crazy lately, but, um, monthly ask coach calls we're just like what does this thing mean you know you can pose your questions in that forum 
Um, a couple times we've talked about people's individual like nagging issues or confusion about how to adjust workouts and um, how to make adjustments when you're not feeling great on a given day, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we've, we've put a lot of work into making this very specific for female athletes. And although I have had males do it and have success, I do always have, the, you know, present the caveat of like, this is not for you. Right. You're welcome to, you know, pay $30 a month and do it if you want. I'm not going to stop you. Thanks for your support. Um, but this isn't designed for you. It's very specifically designed for women. So. Excellent. Excellent. As it should be, as it should be. Um, so as we're talking about women, particularly in the tactical space, where this, again, I keep using this term, but period of evolution, right? Coming from 2016, women in, in uh, combat roles, but also in the cool guy schools, or what I guess we now call the cool people schools. Mm-hmm. Going to ranger school, going into um, SF. Standards. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of discussions about standards, uh, potential misconceptions, people saying that, oh, a lot of these standards are going to be lowered. Um, questions about what the female tactical athlete can and cannot do. Now, we've brought this up before, and I'm going to go ahead and poke this bear, and I would like to just hear what you have to say about that. Okay. Um, my position on standards. Sure. Like, or do you feel... Well, I guess to, to ask more pointed questions, like, do you feel that standards have or will be lowered in those spheres, not just within SF and Ranger, but... Um, anywhere within the soft umbrella or any of the, those gated communities, we'll say. Do you think that those standards are I like to embrace lowered? that way, gated communities. That's nice, right? Yeah. That's good. I'll have to use that. Um, that one's free. I think, I think that there are a lot of people who gain emotional benefit and, you know, a false self, a false self of sense of self-esteem by believing that standards have been lowered. Mm. Like there are particular communities of individuals that maybe are prior service and, you know, did certain jobs and are from a particular area era in which, you know, you, it was still cool to swat women on the ass at work, right? Men from that age in particular are the loudest trolls in these groups that say women can't meet standards, blah, blah, blah. And, and a lot of times it's also, you know, the the teenage boy that like has never done anything in his life and just wants to feel empowered by saying something shitty about somebody else online like uh, <laughs> after the the news came out about the first female green beret a little while back one of my buddies from a deployment you know tagged the valkyrie project post or the valkyrie project account in the post and was like well look at these fools meg <laughs> and this kid said like you know, how many standards did they lower for her to finish and like s-t-a-n-d-a-r-s Oh, and standards. I, yeah. I, I let myself get hot under the collar and I reply like, bro, you should probably learn how to master your own native language before you go talking shit to people. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, you're right. But anyway, 17 year old squirt, like who gives a shit what your opinion is, right? You've never done anything. Um, and I liken it to the, the guys that like troll, you know, the CrossFit games, females that are like, mm. Uh, how much does he bench? Uh, so masculine. I would never sleep with her. Like uh, you are out of your goddamn mind if you think, you know, Tia Claire Toomey gives two fucks about sleeping with you because she's making her millions. And have you seen and she's Shane a Orr? Boss, and you know she's got her man. Like it's hilarious that people pour their energy into these things. So, um, you know, as far as like standards go, 
I wasn't on the cadre when those women came through. Only the cadre know what happened. I would say that um, given all the strong evidence of cadre that came out and all the peers that came out that went through these ranger courses and assessments with women saying, yeah, they met the standard, that's enough for me. Um, But it's also never my point. It's never my place to call that into question. They come out of the schoolhouse with their acceptance letter or their tab. Who am I to question it? I don't run that school. School says they got it, they got it. Um, and I think that's an, an attitude that more people, that I would like to see some of those trolls take. Like, hey man, it's not your job to decide who goes through. Um, but in addition to that, I also think there's got to be, to some extent, a conversation about what is the point of a standard? You know, let's, let's, let's remove like the, the female aspect of this out of it and the fact that, you know, it's been upsetting people a little bit. For the most part, they've gotten a lot of support. Um, but let's remove like the upsetting aspect of like, you know, causing ripples by sending women to these schools. Like, what are standards for? Standards are there for ensuring that like the minimum dose or the minimum performance level, whatever you want to call it, is present for the person to, you know, meet our. Yes, you have the character that we're looking for. Yes, you have the attitude. Yes, you have the heart. Yes, you have the physical ability to do the thing. Um, what I often think about in the year 2020 is how much has Ranger School changed since it's in, since it began to now? You're talking about independent of the female aspect whatsoever. Everything else out of the picture. How how much has that schoolhouse changed? I, I honestly point. don't know the answer, but I would argue that in the year 2020, it might be worth taking a look and saying, do the standards still fit? And the same goes for any... Any assessment and selection, any school, it, it all has to boil down to do, do the standards still make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't say that with the intent of creating permission for women to, to do those schools and jobs because they have it already. They don't mm-hmm. need my permission. They don't need my opinion. Um, however, comma, it is a thing that I, you know, I think that the discussion about standards that was brought up a couple years ago when all those women went through Ranger is, you know, the foundation upon which we build the conversation of, okay, we care so much about standards. Do they still make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, are we, are we testing what we should be testing in people before we give them these privileges and these difficult positions and, and what have you? Almost the same conversation that was had with the, uh, the new physical fitness test, the army combat fitness test. Yeah. Same conversation. And so. I'm so glad that changed. Because it needed to. I mean, were you ever doing your APFT push-ups? Like, how am I ever going to defeat the enemy by just repeatedly pushing my face away from the yeah, ground? Yeah, I've, like, I've been in combat, and i got to tell you, I've never run two miles at one time. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. So, to pivot actually on that Army Combat Fitness test, uh, if I can ask you, I guess, a somewhat controversial question. There's some rumblings out there. Some people feel that because it's a... It's a, it's a um, Universal standard now. Some people that feel that this is unfair to female soldiers. I have a very strong opinion about this. I would like to hear yours. Um, first of all, with the question of fairness, I think there's a difference between everyone being equal and everyone being given equal opportunities. And I hate that I just like said those two words in a row coming out of my own mouth because I know that's like a trigger word for some people. It's just like, oh, here we go. Like, 
dumb annual training that unfortunately is like important training, but is often not executed well and just becomes painful for everyone because of that. Um, but women and men biologically are not equal. I am not equal to every 34 year old, 160 pound woman named Meg that lives in it. Like it's, you know, everybody has an individual experience add on top of that biology and everyone's different which is why we said in the beginning, fitness, in my opinion, ha- there's there's a place for individual treatment in, in fitness. Um, but women and men are not equal. But everyone should have, in my opinion, equal access to opportunities. And you earn opportunities by doing well in in intellectual challenges by performing showing your competence and your evaluations as a soldier and you show your competence as a soldier by doing the fitness test and i think it only did i think it only ever did a disservice to women to have a different scale because it highlights the otherness and the differentness and if not anything else um we should be highlighting that the military is for the most part a meritocracy Mm. and as long as you're good at what you do and you're the right person for the job whether that be man or woman or otherwise, like you should have an opportunity for it. Um, will the 135 pound Jane Snuffy score as well as, you know, 250 pound, like G- Sergeant Major Joe Snuffy or whatever, Major Snuffy, whoever in your mind is the most opposite. Um, she'll probably not score as well as him. But there's also there's also no benchmark foundation here, you know. Mm-hmm. If we start compiling statistics now but in 10 years from now, day 0 versus day whatever 10 years from now, I'm sure that certain trends will have begun to show themselves. And maybe one of those trends is, you know, the men that perform best in assessment do really well in these areas of the ACFT. And women that perform really well in assessment tend to perform well in these areas of ACFT. And maybe they'll make that connection. Or maybe they won't. Maybe they won't, the science won't be there for that connection. And then we'll decide ACFT is not a good standard by which to predict whether someone will succeed in assessment or not. So let's mm-hmm. stop using it as a gate. Or so we would hope. And, you know, that's like the critical thinking that has to go behind um, how we apply, like, the output of these things. Because... As, as we all know in the past, and it'll continue to be this way, the old PT test is like a gate for everything. Because yeah. it's like, we have to have a way to show that you can be athletic. And this is our only way to do that. Um, shoot, I'd like to see a situation where, you know, the APFT or ACFT, neither of them is needed, and you just show up assessment day zero and... They, they give you like a, an unknown distance run or something. You just like do it. If you can't do it immediately day one, get out of here. Yeah. You have it or you don't. Yeah. But you know, we gotta have, we gotta have tools. So I think it was a huge move in the right direction. I am nervous about the number of injuries we're going to see out of people not understanding how to properly execute certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was a huge step in the right direction to change to the ACFT because it's more functional for what soldiers do. And I think it's a huge step in the right direction to get women on the same playing field. Certainly, certainly. Um, so then you two would respond kind of like I do. One of the biggest concerns right now, I believe, is for the leg tuck, 
which for those who don't know, it's a, just combine a pull-up and knees to elbows kind of basically. And uh, I find there are two there are two types of female soldiers when it comes to this, just like there are two types of male soldiers when it comes to this. There are those who worry about it and there are those who are out there trying to crank out pull-ups. And that's just it. You're either going to do it or you're not. And um, I'm very much in agreement with you. It's just provide them the opportunity and let them either rise to it or fail to. Yeah. And, you know, I've had some opportunities to instruct in other circles outside of like the CrossFit gym. And I'll say that one of the philosophies of discovered I have is, you know, there's often a tendency to bring the class to the the level of the lowest person. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you can't, you can't cater to the smartest person and let everyone fail. Well, in some circles, I think it's important to creating a, create a challenge on day one and watch human beings do what they do best and adapt. Yeah, absolutely. You want that curve to go up? Make it a requirement. Yeah, force it. We'll figure it out. It'll be painful at first, but we'll figure it out. Um, all that aside, I think the leg tuck is super silly. I think it's a replacement for a rope climb because I think they needed a way to prove that people could get themselves up and over an obstacle without a pull-up because pull-ups are difficult and often one of the things that they use for those, some of those harder schools. I think we should have just had pull-ups. I think we should have had pull-ups or a rope climb and access, accept the risk that somebody might fall. Get some mat. I <laughs> think start dropping people. Honestly, yeah. I think if I had to guess, I don't actually know. There was probably some kind of it was to replace rope climb. really that important CSM at the table. Like, no, no, no. We're not going to have people falling from 15 feet. Well, that, that never was the, tried a rope climb before. That was the discussion that kept the two mile run in. Was it? Was Justice Sergeant okay. Major saying, no, we're going to have this. And it was just that, like, just, no, we're going to have this. And welcome, okay. everyone, to how things work in the military. It's yeah, nice. yeah, it kind of is. Just because <laughs> I said so. All right. Yeah. But still, you know, on, on the bright side, though, to, uh, just to speak positively the ACFT, I believe that an ACFT-trained soldier, <laughs> correction, a ACFT-properly-trained soldier will be less injury-prone than an APFT-properly-trained soldier. And that's oh, yeah. my hope for the future. But it's that properly trained. That's that properly trained part, because what you have a lot are bro lifters. And what a bro lifter is, for those of you who don't know, is someone who knows how to move weight from one point to the next, but does not know how to do it right. But don't tell them that because they are certain they know how to do it right. Um, and they're going to tell everyone else how to do it wrong. Oh yeah, there are at least eight in With every confidence. gym. And I, I, oh yeah, and I have to like leave the gym if there's one there, or else I become that dude who just wants to be like, hey, look, you're doing this wrong, mm. and I don't want to be that guy. I went to therapy for that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's been my biggest concern in this transition because, as you mentioned before. That bro lifter really wants to impress that female soldier who's just in there trying to learn how to do something right, but he's the only one that she has to go to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's sad. It's so true though. And that's why, I think that's why what we're trying to do is so important because, you know, man, I feel for that female that like, they, they do like any human being would do and identify the fittest person in their formation. Like, you look like you know what you're doing. Help me. And oh, and one's physical capacity and one's ability, one's knowledge and ability to instruct are not, they, they do not run together. Those are different things. Yeah. yeah. Very, very different I mean, things. there's certainly the, the question of look the part, right? Like, sure. I would never want a coach that doesn't look fit because I wouldn't trust him. And that's just an innate bias that I will never let go of, probably. Um, however, comma, there are great coaches out there that are in bad shape. It's true. I'm choosing to like play into my own bias. 
um, with that. But yeah, like she needs somebody that knows her biology and her and can do an assessment on where she is right now mm-hmm. to transition from, you know, over time this place to that place. So actually, you know, speaking of uh, transition over time, you said before that if it weren't just you or if you didn't have, I guess, the rest of your entire life to deal with at the same time, that you would want to grow things a bit bigger. What would Perfect World Valkyrie Project look like for you? To kind of put you on the spot, I'm not really giving time to think about it. Um, I don't, I mean, it's hard to say because the scope of how big it could be in many ways is limited by, limited to the number of women that feel like they need it. Mm. And, you know, like, in the perfect world, in 10 years, there wouldn't be a need for a a VP per se because women will have access to resources and they'll be doing combat arms jobs and it'll be perfectly normal um, to have women going, turning out in droves for these assessments and selections and um, all of that. So we've met our mission if we've helped anyone. So in that sense, we're already outrageously successful. Um, my my goals for this project have never been tied to, you know, a dollar sign amount at the end of every year. Um, I would still like to try and create a scholarship program or something, some, some kind of way to give back to the community with the income we produce. We're just still pretty small time and we're, we're not quite there yet. Um, every time I think we're close to doing that, we have to reinvest something to, to make, to make the platform better and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, I think it's served its purpose. If, if someone has, um, has improved in their performance and that performance is giving them access to the, to the jobs and schools that they want, that they deserve to go to. So that's a fair statement. That's a fair statement. So one of the things that I'm particularly grateful for when it comes to VP, this is speaking as a dude, um, but speaking also as a, a coach of female athletes, not just tactical athletes, but just female mm-hmm. athletes in general, is that uh, that lends into, I guess, female perspective when it comes to fitness. Um, jumping back again to the understanding of the phases and the impact on performance, which is still mind-blowing. But um, it's helped me kind of clarify a lot of misconceptions. So, on that note, um, are there any misconceptions that you think people in general, not just men specifically, but people in general would benefit from, I guess, having elucidated a little bit as far as what the yes. female athlete experience is like. I, tactically. Do. I don't think I'm going to address all of the, um, you know, the stereotypes that are really easy to debunk. Like, oh, all women are weaker than men. Like, Case by case. No, I got a friend what who benches 415, and uh, she's definitely stronger than me. Without case by case, what's you know what's the task at hand? What are we talking? Right, like let's be critical thinkers and not make general statements. Um, what I will do treatment to, though, I think that's a big deal is this misconception that women want to be viewed as the same as men. Interesting. Like women's equality equates to I want to be the, seen the same as you. And I don't. I'm an individual and I have my own biological processes that are different than yours and like my own personality and set of experiences that create this big lens through which I see the world. Um, 
I don't want to be the same. I bring my own good things to the table, and so do you. We wouldn't be human beings if we were all the same. Um, What we do want, I think, in terms of this question of, like, women's equality is just access to the same opportunities. That's it. I want access to the same job that my peers have access to. I want to be given the chance to try, nothing more. So um, that kind of comes back to the ACFT question too, right? Because people are saying like, this is unfair, unfair. You can't, you can't simultaneously argue for access to the same jobs and also have an issue with being held to the same standard as the men. Those two things are mutually exclusive, in my opinion. Not just yours. Uh, that's, 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 that's a very common opinion. Um, okay, so, Meg, um, I guess we've reached the end of important things to say before we just go off and ramble here. But um, as, as a nod to your normal closing, what would you like to say to the, the people? Now that you have a platform, even though you always have a platform, <laughs> now that the platform is focused on you, closing remarks, um, pearls of wisdom. Ugh. You are on the spot right now. I am on the spot. I was literally on the spot. Uh, I have a couple. You're, you're only allowed one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> really? You're going to tell me what I can do on my own show? I'm literally telling you. <laughs> yeah, you are. It's kind of funny. Um, I think first off, I have to say, uh, whether you know you perceive sexism to be real or not, as a woman out there, whether you like allow that to play into your decision making or how you perceive things that you know events that evolve around you or not regardless of all those things um we all have to make up our minds about those things and you know how we address them but all of that said i you know i would challenge female tactical athletes to stand up for themselves and for the soldiers that they lead or the airmen or the marines sailors that they lead at all costs at all times no matter what, always. People sometimes say, like, do what your rank can handle. But now more than ever, we're in a situation in the year 2020 where service members are empowered to fight against toxic leadership and fight against mistreatment and to really inject themselves in the process of making things better. Um, and my personal perspective is if, if you're taking a paycheck for a job and you don't leave that position better than you found it, then you're dead wrong, especially if you wear the uniform. But um, a big way that you can do that is to speak openly, respectfully as always, but openly. Um, sometimes you will have to make your superiors uncomfortable, and that has to be okay. They are not gods. Their rank does not make them more important or significant to the organization than you. Um, and especially if you're a leader of sailors, soldiers, airmen, Marines, um, it is your responsibility to put your neck on the line for those people. If you're a leader and you're unwilling to take a couple heat rounds for your, for the people that you lead, then you probably need to find another job. Um, and secondly, and this might be probably like the last thing I'll leave it off with. It's never take no for an answer. First, no, no is just a first step to yes. So 
keep fighting for what you want and what you think you need, what your team needs. That might be the, you know, an argument about resources. That might be a discussion of having an opportunity to go to a school or compete for an, a, a privileged position or whatever the case may be. But no is the first step to yes. I actually have one more question for sure. you. Um, I don't know if you want to keep this one in because I'm intentionally going to try and upset you with this because it's a question that anytime I hear it, it's a statement rather anytime I hear okay. it, I get heated. Um, they say that in the army for a female, you have to either be a bitch or a slut and nothing in between. Mm-hmm. I have very, very strong feelings about this statement and I'd like to hear yours. Um, as with all generalities, it's dangerous because speaking about it in, in some ways makes it even more real than maybe it actually is which is kind of how narrative works. And we see that in our society now with news and how information is passed. The more it is, the more a thing is mentioned, the more real it becomes. And I think I said something similar earlier. Um, and it's kind of being tongue in cheek, but if I put on my critical thinking hat, because I know better than to make generalizations, (laughs) um, I would say, I think we all know that that's not the case. Um, and I think that it would be, would have been easier to perceive that in a military enterprise of yesteryear as opposed to now, even like in the Gulf War times and, you know, Cold War and whatever. Um, But that is, I think that's going away. um, And especially in communities, especially in gated communities, that is significantly less noticeable and in many ways, you know, kind of not a thing. Um, From my perception, you know, I can't sit here and speak I would be, um, I would be very wrong and kind of immature to sit here and say that I can speak all, f- speak for all women in the military on anything, because I can't. Um, but from my personal perspective, I think that, that that's going away a little bit, um, and and it's it's a dangerous thing to talk about it a whole lot more because again, you know, the more you talk about it, the more it becomes a real thing. But at the same time. You know, it's, it's a conversation that um, I think many women wish they could have with their commanders and the people that lead them, um, you know, their first line supervisors or whatever, to be like, you know, um, try to look at me with an objective eye. You know, would you feel the same way about how I handled that situa- situation if I was a man versus a woman? Like, you know, and that, that comes back to, to openly communicating with your peers and your, and your superiors and your subordinates and um, giving people the benefit of the doubt and setting them up for success in a way that sets you up for success, you know. Um, and hopefully people, when they're facing that challenge, will be speaking with someone that's open-minded. Maybe they won't be. Unfortunately, that's kind of a thing that happens. But, um, yeah, I... I've heard it. I, I don't really believe it anymore, but it does happen from time to time. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I will say that I've been in, let's just say long enough that I'm looking at retirement now. I'm starting to think about what to do when Dang. I get out. Old man. Um, it's, it's still a little Old bit, but you know, I'm in that point. <laughs> but I will say that I have had a lot of women leaders and none of them have been either of those two. So I refuse to believe that I'm not, I'll never dis dish. I, I, mean, I want to say that someone's lived experience isn't a thing. So, you know, it'd be ridiculous for me to do so. But I will at least say from at least one individual's opinion, perspective rather, um, 
No, you don't have to pick one of those two. You can absolutely just no. be a good leader. And I think in many ways it's become a trope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it means two different things if it's a trope versus is it actually true that every woman in the military is either a bitch or a slut? Like, no, of course not. Is it a trope? Yeah, kind of. It's it's taken on a, a life form of its own, but... Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's good. It's good to hear. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, well, I'm out of cool things to say. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks so much, Nick. I appreciate you taking the time to come jam with me. And I think, uh, well, I hope that the listeners got something out of this and um, enjoyed getting a little bit of an unusual perspective from the normal voice they hear from. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And I would say they definitely did. They absolutely did. I'm glad you had an opportunity to tell people that you didn't just start out an all-star athlete and... Pop just out of boom, the womb, just, like just running and varsity. jumping and yeah. doing muscle ups and stuff like that. Yeah, well, sometimes people need to hear that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. As always, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ValkyrieProjectUS.com to send ideas, shout outs, personal testimonies, or stories you'd like to share. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as Valkyrie Project US, so be sure to like and follow those pages to stay up to date. Do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can't. Thanks for listening.